0: Hey, this is Charles Woodson, and you're listening to What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn.
1: We'll pour yourself a glass,
2: sit for a spill, it's time to have some fun. Let's do a little thinking, some picking and a drinking, but this is what we're drinking with Dan Dunn.
3: Welcome to the show. I'm Dan Dunn, and I'm fired up because we got not one, but two great guests on this episode. Coming up a little later, we got Brian Friedman, an old buddy of mine. He's an author. He's got his first big book coming out. It's called Crushed, and it's about how climate change is impacting the wine industry that we love so much. At least I love it. And then uh, also got a little chat with a guy named Paul Coffin, country music superstar. Paul Coffin caught up with him at the Whiskey X in Denver. I'm the MC of the Whiskey X. It's a roving festival of of uh, whiskey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, Paul played the the event in Denver a couple of weeks ago, and I got to chat to him. So uh, we're gonna have a little bit of that.
0: Mm, I love Scotch. I love Scotch. Scotchy, scotch is got Scotch. Here it goes down down and do
3: my belly Mm-mm-mm. uh and i lied when i said i'm fired up i'm actually tired i i've been having trouble sleeping lately and last night was one of those nights i woke up about two in the morning could not get back to sleep so i went out into the living room and i put on the tv and i watched jaws that's right jaws 1975 classic by steven spielberg based on peter benchley's novel i think this was probably the I've watched Jaws over a hundred times and that's not an exaggeration. And you might be asking yourself, why would you put on Jaws when you can't sleep in the middle of the night? Because Jaws relaxes me. That's right. It does. I'm so familiar with it. It feels like an old friend. And so I, I, I find myself mouthing the words along with the characters. That's how well I know this movie. And, um, yeah, a theme song. Oh, I should just pop that John Williams theme song on to go to sleep. That'll do it for me. That's my that's my white noise. Dun 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 dun. dun. Anyway, uh, in honor of Jaws, I, I got something here—a little segment we do uh, where am I drink with people, and uh, in this case, well, here you, you see for yourself. <laughs> Now it's time for Drinking with Captain Quint. Hey, how's it going?
2: You all know me. Know how I earn a living.
3: Yeah, you're Captain Quint. You're a local fisherman
0: do you tell me my business again.
3: Sorry, my bad. It's just, uh, I heard you've been known to do some, uh, fishing for great whites. Well, I'd like to volunteer to come out there with you sometime.
2: I don't want no volunteers. I don't want no mates. There's too many captains on this island.
3: Oh, yeah, yeah, sure, of course. No, no volunteers, no mates, and you're the captain, of course. I mean, what if I, uh, how about
2: I pay you? How's 3,000 bucks sound? I value my neck a lot more than 3,000 bucks, chief.
3: Okay, sure, forget about it. It's probably for the best. I, I got a bad leg anyway. You want to drink? Drink
2: to your leg? Sure. Okay, so <laughs> we drink to our legs.
3: Let's do it.
2: You <laughs> try this. Made it myself pretty good stuff.
3: <laughs> Thanks.
2: Here's to swimming with bow legged women.
3: Oh, that's awful.
2: It's not going to be pleasant. Yeah, I know. I just tried it. Farewell and adieu to you, fair Spanish ladies. Farewell and adieu,
1: you ladies of Spain.
3: Fair Spanish ladies. What are you talking about,
2: Quint?
1: I'm talking about working for a living. I'm talking about sharking.
3: Like I said, I, I want to come out and do some sharking with you. You won't take 3000 How much do you want?
2: $10,000 for me by myself.
3: Deal. Let's shake on it.
2: You got city hands, Mr. Hooper. You've been counting money all your life.
3: Okay, first off, rude. Second, my name's Dunn, not Hooper. And I have been counting money my whole life. I'm broke. Well,
2: you worry about it, Chief. It won't be permanent.
3: Well, that's a comforting thought.
2: Jesus H. Christ. When I was a boy, every little squid wanted to be a harpooner or a sword fisherman.
3: Not sure what to say to that. It's getting kind of late, Captain Quint. Maybe it's time to get out of here.
0: Show me
2: the way to go home, home, home. I'm tired of I want to, go to I had a little drink about an hour ago, and I got right to my head. Wherever I may roam, on land or sea or home, you can always...
3: If you've seen the movie, you know that banging part at the end was, Dan, that's the shark. I got away, Quint. Not so much. Didn't make it. Raise a glass to Quint. Sigh. Invite you to follow me on Instagram at the Imbiber, also on Twitter at the Embiber. Podcast has uh, its own little IG called WWD underscore podcast. So yeah, the Whiskey X Denver. I uh, got a chance to chat up Paul Coffin. Also had Adam Derza from uh, Doers was along there with me. And this is a little edited version of our talk, and it's. I apologize, some of the audio is a little off because we were using handhelds and we were a little drinking and we weren't really paying attention. But you get it, I get it. It's it's fun, and we were drinking two different kinds of doers. We had the doers that's finished in Mizunora Japanese Mizunora casks, and then we had the nineteen year old doers, both delicious. And Paul was a really cool guy. They gave me a like a gold LeMay jacket. But it was a wrinkly gold LeMay jacket that I got to wear, and oh, it was fun. and he's a good dude. I, I wasn't familiar with Paul Calton's music, but i, I tell you what. I caught him after, after our interview, he we went up and played, and I was blown away by this guy. Go on, go on YouTube, check him out live and then also check out his music on Spotify or wherever you get your music, Apple music, I don't know. I don't know I don't know where you're listening to music. How would I know this?
0: What the hell's going on? I mean, what the hell is going on?
3: I don't know, but um, yeah, he's great. Really, I'm a, I'm a new, I'm a fan of Paul Coffin. Paul and I need some whiskey to drink while we're here. Adam Derza from Dewar's, our favorite scotch whiskey. How are you, man? I'm doing well. Got a couple good scotches for you guys to try,
0: so I'm pumped to be here and thanks for having me.
2: Mm. Are you a uh, scotch? I tend drink? to drink, uh, I'll drink everything but gin. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, no, you got
3: to perform done. tonight. Yeah. So I, I like before a show We can only like, have one ball. Is there a, I was gonna say, is there like a a gauge where like, all right, I feel just right to go on stage?
2: No, I mean it all depends. You know, uh, some nights I won't even drink at all, and uh, some nights I will drink edit too much.
3: Part, edit that part out where he just said that.
2: Yeah. I mean, so, you're so, from Texas, forgot. Yeah. So, well, okay. you know, some you know it all depends on the evening, but I love to have a couple nice uh drinks before i go on you know loosen uh, up a little bit when in colorado there's a lot of other fun things you can do
0: too
2: when we got here oh, yeah. that is very smooth yeah it's very delicious. nice
3: now paul you're from tyler
2: tyler texas yes
3: people thinking i don't research before i come out you know who else is famous from tyler texas i found out today earl campbell is Earl Campbell from Tyler? Dent? Yeah. yeah. I, didn't Tyler Rose. I didn't research too hard. But the Sandy Duncan. Peter Pan on Broadway. Sandy Duncan. Remember saying? Am I aging myself? Never mind.
2: Sandy Duncan. Old, San- old, big, old big Sandy Dunks. <laughs> One of my dearest pals. Old Dunkarooski. Hadn't seen him in years. By the way, this is the most emasculating part of any interview
3: I've ever done. He's like, Earl Campbell? I'm like, no, Sandy Duncan. <laughs> By the way, so Paul has no idea who Sandy Duncan is or that, that she's even a woman. <laughs> Not a man. Come on, Sandy Duncan, Peter Pan, the Hogan family. She was even in Roots, got an Emmy nomination for Roots. Come on. Why I feel so old. It's this
2: jacket. Well, welcome to Broadway, Peter Pan. Sandy Duncan with my whiskey in hand. There we go. <laughs> Oh boy. Uh what do you think of
3: this whiskey? That's good. I feel good. like I should you know, chug it now to try to get my mojo back. Let me
2: see. Yeah. You
3: don't think I could do that?
2: Oh yeah. This is do.
3: the first whiskey I've had all night. So, here. Oh yeah. Now I feel like a rock star.
2: That'll make your nipples do a 180.
3: See them? Yeah. <laughs> Look at this. Now Paul, you uh you get three albums out now?
2: Yeah. Uh i have got uh Three records out. Uh, uh, you know, we're putting out some more singles very soon. And, you know, we're just keeping on the road and trying to grind as much as we can, and, you know, play as many shows as we can, uh, and being smart about it, you know, yeah. touring smarter, not too, too much harder, you know.
3: Well, what I found fascinating, too, is both your maternal and paternal grandfathers had a big influence with Jim Paul Right, yeah, your my grandfather grand, and your mother's yeah. side. taught you how to got you guitar, taught you how to sing. Yeah. You and your sisters uh, was friends with Sonny Curtis. Right? Yeah, uh, Jim Paul buddy, was for uh, Buddy Holly. Uh, well, they were they were
2: him and his buddy Olin Finley were all in a little group that would play and pick.
3: It's pretty, it seems like it was you preordained. ordained. I mean, it's pretty or,
2: it's period. it's organic, but it wasn't like you know they were best friends on either side. They were just acquaintances, and they you know were grown up in the same area and you know my granddad was out in lubbock for a while so that's how he ran into that whole crew with the crickets and them
3: i went to um lubbock years ago and uh i was very excited i was going to go to buddy holly's grave you know and oh, yeah. i then i thought well gotta time this right because it's probably going to be a madhouse out there <laughs> forgetting that buddy holly's been dead for like 65 years not only was no one at buddy holly's grave no one was I was the only person in the entire cemetery. Have you been out there? Oh yeah. It's like in the middle of no like kind of like in a neighborhood in Lubbock. Yeah. And uh it's you just go down this little road and it's like, everything's no so frills yeah. and it's got the H O L L E Y, which is how he actually spelled his name. Yeah. And yeah. He was I'm a wellspring of meaningless trivia, Paul. I can man, tell you're, you. You're I, a right, book you know. of knowledge. Right. That's what I do.
2: And you uh you're into Hunter S. Thompson.
3: Oh, and then Paul noticed I have a gonzo tattoo on my arm hunter s thompson he noticed that and
2: i worked for hunter s thompson yeah i see that was, gonzo art yeah
3: yeah yeah so uh, is that
2: from the gonzo artist Do you know no i know ralph but ralph, ralph Stedman. yeah but is no, he, uh, I,
3: isn't he out in aspen by the way just so you know that that artwork was this the fist the gonzo yeah. fist was not ralph Stedman. that was tom benton who designed that
2: fist yeah wow an artist who lived in aspen yeah so you worked for hunter s thompson i did He could drink some (laughs) doers.
3: He could drink some everything. Yeah. uh, How did he do it? How did he stay up with all Uh the drinking? All right. Uh, Let's try uh, the next whiskey. All right. Let's give it a shot. (laughs) Brian's looking at me. No drug talk. Okay. uh, What do we got here? Uh,
2: That's why we have post.
3: That's right. Now, do, do you find if you have a little whiskey before the show, does it have a little any impact on your? vocal stylings
2: yeah bunch of slurred words (laughs) no it It doesn't it doesn't really faze me much uh if i drink a lot of it you know this is my first day in uh altitude from texas so i can get a little uh wasted
3: if you yeah you gotta you gotta drink a lot of water up here yes that's the
2: difference but uh, you know and oxygen
3: it's a uh, it's a big crowd out there right now and there's already a big a lot of people gathered around the stage. Uh,
2: well, I'm coming in on the zipline on a B52. <laughs> They're going to actually fly it in here. It's going to be amazing.
3: Do you have a favorite of these two?
2: Man, I like the first one. Miss Orchestra. Uh, yes, it's got a smoother it's a smoother approach. The second one has more notes that are kind of it's more floral. It's got a different Vibe to it, yeah. What
3: so, I want to know is, what are these going to set us back, Adam? Uh, the Japanese going to set you back between twenty and thirty bucks, and that nineteen-year-old's uh, sitting about just under a hundred dollars. Golly, That's I'll awesome. trade you this uh, gold lame jacket for one of those. Eh?
2: <laughs> That's great whiskey,
3: uh, Paul. Adam, this has been lovely, but you got to get on stage. You yeah, just, I got to go get hit back it. out there and pour some whiskey, and I got to go up find an iron and. Get out there. I'm Dan Dunn, Whiskey X, Denver.
2: Peace, Peace out. out.
3: All right, I got to get something off my chest. It's about rum. You see, all rum begins in sugarcane fields, but not all rum is made from fresh sugarcane juice. In fact, 100% fresh sugarcane juice rums are rarer than honest politicians, slow-footed professional soccer players, and gooey love ballads by Ramstein. Or is it Ramstein? Anyway, the care and attention required to make great rum from fresh sugar cane juices is time consuming and expensive. That's why most rum brands don't bother. Thankfully, Batiste ain't most rum brands. Batiste is the first sustainable American craft rum. It's a delicious, clean, and environmentally positive spirit that you can feel good about inside and out. Kind of like you do when you're listening to Ramstein. Or is it Ramstein? Batiste is the result of a special collaboration between an historic French Caribbean distillery on the remote island of Marie Galante and a Napa, California-based producer of Sustainable Spirits. It is the brand's mission to bring the ethics and standards of the all-natural food world to rum. Right now, Batiste Rum has a hell of a deal for you, my listener. Go to BatisteRum.com. That's B-A-T-I-S-T-E-R-H-U-M.com. Fill up your cart and enter code DUNN, D-U-N-N. You'll get 20% off everything you've ordered. 20 friggin' percent. Damn, that's awesome. Folks, Batiste Rum is my go-to invite you to make it yours it's proof that great taste with true sustainability is not a goal for tomorrow but a reality today friends i love football i really do there's just something so exhilarating about watching grown men in silly padded outfits getting in there and mixing it up and speaking of mixing it up, how's that for a segue, huh? When you're having friends over to watch football, the last thing in the world you want to do is be spending half the damn game playing master mixologist. It's a time-consuming pain in the ass. That's why my fridge is always well-stocked with ready-made mixers from Fresh Victor. If I've said it once, I've said it 14,763 times. You can buy the finest, fanciest, most expensive spirits in the world to make craft cocktails at home, but if you use lame mixers, you're going to get lame drinks. That ain't gonna happen with Fresh Victor, a line of all natural, clean label cocktail mixers that are as smooth as Josh Allen throwing the long ball. Fresh Victor features eight unique blends with contemporary flavors designed to suit any palate. All the ingredients are fair trade sourced, there's no artificial anything. Mixers are produced at a 100% solar-powered juicing plant with absolutely no waste. Right now, Fresh Victor is offering a blowout win of a deal to my listeners. Simply go to freshvictor.com, fill up your shopping cart, and at checkout, enter promo code WWD20 to get 20% off your order. Touchdown! Score! Something else! Here's what I know. Now's the time to treat yourself to the very best mixers on the market. And that's Fresh Victor.
2: Patty O'Brien, ex-Irish assassin. His trademark, a superstitious man. He leaves a tiny keepsake from his good luck bracelet on every victim he kills. Scotland Yard would love to get their hands on that piece of evidence.
0: Yeah, they're always after me, Lucky Charms. What? Why does everyone always laugh when I say that? They are after me lucky char.
2: <coughs> what? It's a television commercial.
3: Joining me now, a wine, spirits, travel, and food writer who has contributed to many of the big boys, including Food & Wine, Forbes, Whiskey Advocate, Travel, Leisure, The Bourbon Review trying to think of a porno mag to mess with him Uh, (laughs) swank (laughs) chic um cat fancy no i don't know if he's done that he's hosted a wine and spirits pairing segments on the cnn airport network and most exciting he's got a new book out today october 11th called crushed how a Changing Climate is Altering the Way We Drink. I'm excited to have him on. My old pal, Brian Friedman. How are you, buddy?
1: Dan, it's good to be here. I I, I thought that it was our secret that I contributed in the past to Cat Fancy. So I guess it's, uh, can I say the cat's <laughs> out of the bag or I can't it? Right. <laughs> you can do that.
3: I might have to add in a uh, a, a little hi-hat there. Uh, <laughs> so, congrats, man. You got a book out. Is this your, uh, is this your first one?
1: My first one. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a, it's been a long haul. Uh, and you, you were, you were honestly one of the first people, uh, I knew who was like, you know, a highly respected writer and author who, uh, I think you're confusing me with somebody else. Highly respected. Oh, Oh, come on. No, sorry. Sorry. My notes here are wrong. (laughs) Let me, let me change that. No, this is, this is it. This is the first one.
3: I'm congrats man like, i'll do man. my
1: vanna white thing right
3: that is uh it's an exciting time so i'm i'm assuming you've already got the hard copy in your hand
1: i mean it's yeah they arrived the other day and you know the the other week and the kids were going crazy the dog i think started crying it was a big day long time coming
3: how often are you going to be checking the uh the amazon uh, charts to see how your book's doing
1: oh my god i don't know i think uh the number of people told me like to avoid that, like the plague, right? Like I could make myself crazier than I already am. So I think oh, you will
3: trust me. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I, I'm going to make it a drinking game. So every time I want to check Amazon, I'll like take a shot of whiskey and then eventually I'll just stop caring. Frankly.
3: I remember just even my last book, American wino and doing that. And then there was a point where it was, it had gotten up to, you know, in the top 40 or something, you know, and, that's kind of where it peaked very quickly.
1: It's crazy but, though. That's but, high. But
3: you went, uh, well, I think forty in like the the food and drinks category, not overall. But even there, I was like, wow, this is amazing. And then it's just diminishing returns after that. You just, you know, day one is the day when all of the pre sales and everything go. That all counts. Day two is when you really need to stop. Uh, Looking right,
1: so I'll give myself a free pass for the for the first day, and then that's it. I'll just rely on other people to tell me or or lie to me, whatever the case may be.
3: Yeah, you you, you're going to do fine. Now let's talk a little bit about this book. So I I got it a while back. I was was reading through it. It It's just a, a really it's fascinating and it's very timely, especially if you love wine, you love spirits. Talk about the the genesis of this book where did you get the idea and why should people read it
1: so the idea of it i mean you know one of the big perks of what we do for a living right we've traveled before is we get to travel right we get to see the world we get to you know speak with distillers and winemakers and farmers and over the years you know you couldn't have a meal you couldn't have a drink with with these folks without the topic of climate change coming up And, you know, it's not just about like global warming. Right. It's about what this one winemaker in Texas told me. She calls it global weirding. Right. And it's, you know, it's ill-timed frost and hail and it's, you know, it's it's wildfires. And we've all seen what's happening. Right. It's 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 crazy. So I thought, you know, there's been a million and three books written about how climate change is affecting our food system but uh, we weren't able to find any books that were written for consumers that told the stories of producers of, of the beverage, the, the beverages that we love and how they're being affected by climate change. And it seemed like a story that had to be told. So, you know, identified eight regions around the world and really just, I'm trying to tell the stories and humanize, uh, these issues that oftentimes can seem kind of abstract, right? Like, what's 3 degrees celsius you know versus you know 10 degrees whatever it might be so really seeing the human impacts of these why should people read this honestly i mean let's be honest we're just coming off of a pandemic or or maybe not i don't know if i can say we're coming off of the pandemic can i say that i don't know what, what what i'm allowed to say biden said
3: it's over and, it and ends, it's over i believe there the you old go. man I mean, look, where where is it? I don't think about it very often. I get my boosters when it's time to get my boosters, but I I don't, it doesn't cross my mind anymore. And I, I say that with all due respect to anybody's out there getting sick or whatever. I know, I know it's still affecting a lot of people, but I personally have kind of gone back to the old routines. I'm trusting in these vaccines and I'm hoping that that keeps me safe, but I get what you're saying. Like we're, we are moving forward
1: at least. Yeah, we're moving forward. But like, let's be honest. I mean, during those scary lockdown and quarantine days of, of you know, the early and mid pandemic, it, it was these wonderful wines and spirits that got a lot of us through it. Right. Like my wife and I, it was Negroni time at four o'clock in the afternoon every day. And that was that was when we decided to be more responsible. Four, I was going to say, why'd you start so late? I remember, uh, waking, I, like, well, I
3: remember waking up in the beginning of it. And, and there was this period where you, it did have this end of the world type feel really did. I mean, in the early days where you go out and it was just a ghost town here in Los Angeles. So, you know, I'd be like, it's 11 a.m. I feel like having some
1: wine. And then I'd be, what the fuck? I'm going to have some wine. Who cares? And what pairs well with wine afterwards? Bourbon, because you need wine dessert, right? And it's, you know, it's all of us, I think, during the pandemic, a lot of people started realizing how important these things are and not just from like the psychological crutch standpoint of that. Right. But, you know, we, we all read the stories about, you know, wineries, they were suffering because of the wildfires in 2020 in California. And, you know, it's, it's, this is, this is going to be the the international uh, beverage alcohol industry is poised to hit three quarters of a trillion dollars in the next couple of years. Right. So this is jobs. This is this is. And it's not just like, you know, the folks making the wine, but it's it's people who bottle it, who ship it, who farm it, who, who make the spirits and the, all that stuff. So this is going to trickle down and affect so many people that all of us are going to know it matters. And I think it's you know, we owe it to the people who are making the stuff and getting it to us. Uh, to understand what they're up against.
3: Well, speaking of that, I recently had on uh, Chris Carpenter. I, I know you know Chris Carpenter, winemaker up in Napa, one of the best we have here in these United States. And Chris is a cool cat, you know, big, strong, yeah. strapping guy, doesn't seem to be afraid of much. And I asked him about it, and, and I you could tell that there was uncertainty, for sure, but also a little bit of fear because – Let's face it, out here in California, you're getting frost, you're getting heat spikes, yeah. and and most importantly, you're getting fires. And yes. it's increasingly every. I mean, these used to be sort of semi rare events, but now it's like every year. How are we gonna? Hopefully, the vineyard doesn't burn down this year, or hopefully right. we don't. It gets so friggin' hot that we got to pick in the beginning of August. You know, when they used to pick in right. October. Just doing all your research. What is the outlook for sort of the crown jewel of the United States winemaking, which would be Napa, Sonoma. What's going to happen there, man?
1: In 20 years, is it going to look a lot different? I think it's going to look different. I think it's going to have to look different, but that doesn't mean that it's going to be catastrophic. And it doesn't mean that Napa and Sonoma aren't going to continue to be the world-class regions that they are, because I firmly believe that they will be. There's a couple of things that I learned as I was researching and reporting on this book. And one of them, the big one is something that I already knew, but it was just reinforced by this, is that nobody gets into the wine or spirits world because they have to, right? Like maybe you're the 30th generation of some Tuscan family and you're like, shit, the family business. I want to do something else, right? But I mean, most people, you get into this line of work because you love it, right? And as a consequence of that, people... In this line of work tend to be both optimistic, incredibly, incredibly uh, able to pivot in ways that you know maybe some other fields are not. And I definitely believe, and I found this in my research, that the people who are making the wine, making the spirits, have a very good chance of leading us into whatever the future is going to look like. And you talk about someone like Chris. I mean, Chris is like He's like the Yoda of mountain wines, right? I mean, he's amazing. His wine in the mountains, uh, whether it's Merlot, Cab, Cab Franc, is a genius. He's amazing. Um, also, big strapping guy, right? Like I'm five foot seven on a good day. So I we have a great picture of my wife and I next to Chris. And I'm like, uh, you know, it's I'm like an Oompa Loompa. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, the fact that he's making wine in the mountains, right? This is one of those things that I think is going to become more and more important. One of my chapters, for example, is on the Israeli wine industry, right? They've been making wine there for thousands and thousands of years. But the question I ask is you're making wine in a country where give or take around 50% of the land is desert. What do you do when the climate is getting warmer? The answer in Israel is just like what we're seeing in other parts of the world, look for altitude, right? Because there all of a sudden, You're getting uh, cooler nights. You're getting that bigger difference between the daytime highs and the nighttime lows, which gives you better, more you know, more vibrant and lively fruit. So you know, Chris is a great example. Other things that they're going to have to do. I mean, look, harvesting earlier is 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 a thing, right? I mean, if you look at harvest dates uh, around the world, I was just in Spain uh, two weeks ago in Priorat. Priorat's an amazing part of the world, and they were saying that they were harvesting some of their grapes like three to four weeks earlier this year than they had historically in the past on average. But, but that means that maybe you change your farming practices. Maybe that means that at some point you pick different grape, you plant different grape varieties that can be harvested earlier. One
3: of the things you talk about in the book, though, is one area's loss is another area's gain to some degree, because now you're looking at, for instance, sparkling wine in England. Yes yeah not a place that would be traditionally thought of as a bastion of great any wine but you know but spark- right. so what's happening there why is why is sparkling wine booming in England now
1: so england is interesting right i mean that's if you want to look at the geology and the geological origins right i mean you got like the white chalky soils of champagne uh and then you have like the White Cliffs of Dover and a lot of the chalky soils of Southeast England. We're talking about very similar geological origins there, right? So historically, it's not anything inherent to England uh, that disallowed them to make great wine. It's just that it was too cold. It was too wet. Now, all of a sudden, you know, you hear these abstract numbers like, uh, you know, the temperature is going to go up an average of one degree Celsius in the next 10 or 20 or 30 years, whatever it is. And it's like, well, what the hell does that mean? Well, in a place like southeastern England, that's the difference between being able to ripen Pinot Noir and make killer sparkling wine and not being able to, and growing Pinot Noir that that tastes like tomato vines, right? So England is sort of benefiting in a lot of ways from this. Now, what's interesting is it's not just about the climate. So most of the producers I spoke with in England, they were saying the temperatures are going up, which is great. But the rain that's coming is much more extreme than it was before. One producer said that when they were a kid, it was like this sort of, you know, slow, drizzling rain, and it kept everything sort of moist. And now it's these like cataclysmic storms that are coming through. And, you know, you run the risk of washing off topsoil and all kinds of other stuff. But because the temperatures are going up, that's changing everything for the better. And have you had those bubblies before?
3: Yeah, what's the big one? Uh, castle. Oh, the guy's got a castle. He invited me there. It's the uh, wine they. It sp- Night Timber? It's the one they. Ser- the sparkling they served at the royal wedding, uh, the most recent. Oh,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. William uh, and- Night Timber or. Um, it'll come to me at two in the morning. I'll text yeah, you. Yeah, yeah.
3: It's a guy. That guy. The guy, you know, the guy making the guy the thing to do the wine. That guy. Yeah. The you English know, guy. He's, he's got a castle. No, I, <laughs> it was a few years <laughs> ago. Uh, what is it? Okay, now I feel like I got to look it up. It, it's. Um, what was it called? It's the sparkling wine uh, royal wedding. Let's try that uh, while we're right. while we're talking. I would Google in real time. Sparkling wine. Here we go. Uh, I can't type. Sparkling wine <laughs> royal wedding, and it is Chapel Down.
1: Yes, Chapel Great stuff.
3: Down. That's the one.
1: And yeah, uh, that,
3: that I got to say, oh, uh, the other one where I had that was. A couple years ago, the British consulate here in Los Angeles, through an Oscar party, I got invited and I went to this uh, and it was all, you know, Gary Oldman and Kate Beckinsale and a bunch of the great British actors were there pre Oscars. And that chapel down was the bubbly
1: that they were serving. That went over pretty well.
3: It's still del- it's delicious. It's great. Yeah, that's the thing. Having done all the research in, for this book, what's the biggest We'll start with the biggest negative takeaway. What scares you the most having done all this research in terms of the impact in the future on the wine business?
1: I mean, look, it's easy when you think about the wine business, right? To imagine that everybody who's making wine uh, lives in some kind of chateau, or whatever the American or, you know, Israeli or South American version of a chateau is, right? And there's generational wealth, and you can ride out the bad vintages. But the truth is, that is not the case at all. And for a very, very high proportion of producers out there, it's like a vintage-to-vintage thing. And if you have two or three catastrophic vintages in a row, good luck, right? I mean, this is a tough business. Margins are slim. Uh, You know, a winemaker uh, once said to me that they were jealous of chefs. I said, why are you jealous of chefs, right? They said, because a chef, you get in the weeds one night, you have a bad night, everything goes down. You still have the next night and the one after that. As a winemaker, you got one shot a year, right? And if nature doesn't give it to you that year, that's tough. And you better hope for a better year next year. So for me, it's a lot of the small and mid-sized ones that aren't heavily capitalized. That's tough. That's really scary to try to figure out how they're going to make it through. And again, I think they will. I think if people in any field are going to be able to, it's it's folks who are making the wine and the spirits. But there's some challenging years in the past, and I think there's going to be some very challenging years up ahead.
3: Well, the good news is if if everything goes to hell, hopefully they got some wine left and they can just drink themselves silly.
1: I mean, exactly. There's it's the ultimate liquid asset. Right? <laughs> That's
3: right. All right. Now, what is the most positive
1: takeaway? you have so the most positive takeaway is that you know when it comes to what we're learning about agriculture right because these are agricultural businesses right there's no there's no spirits without grains right like there's no wine without grapes and what the folks who are growing these products are doing uh they are in many cases leading the way hold
3: on a second have you had Snoop Dogg's wine? I don't think they're using grapes in there. I really don't. I don't know what they're using, but it ain't grapes.
1: I have my sample down the basement. I got to give that a shot. I also have the Martha's Shard. I don't know why I fuck with Snoop Dogg so much.
3: Because, well, Snoop, they, uh, sorry, I'm cutting you off now. But Snoop made this gin, indigo, or indago, you, which indago. it's awful. It's just, there's no way to say it other than it's just awful. I love Snoop. And then they sent me this Snoop wine. And I'm like, what is what's happening right now? Is Snoop? going for this shitty palate market? Like, is he specifically <laughs> targeting people with shitty palates? Because his gin sucks and his wine sucks. And I love Snoop. Music is awesome. Please don't kill me, Snoop, for saying it. But I, whoever, first of all, let's be honest. Snoop ain't making any of this shit. He probably hasn't no. even tasted any of this shit. But whoever's making it for him, for Christ's sakes, the man's a legend. Make it a little better. What's t- he's up on the strawberries in this friggin' gin? They put so much strawberry flavoring in this is gin, it really. Oh, it's horrible. And then the wine, which is apparently sourced from here, the central coast. I don't know. I found it to be, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, aggressively awful.
1: That's what I found it aggressively awful. Yeah. I didn't like it. That's that's it. Well, but that's interesting, right? Because a lot of, a lot of wines that are made in bulk, right? A lot of them, you know, you're sourcing fruit. And I, again, I don't know Snoop. I'm a huge fan uh, of the music.
3: By the way, I love how we keep qualifying it. Neither what? Look at us. We're two pussies. We're like, I don't want to get on the <laughs> wrong side of Snoop. <laughs> hey, Snoop, again, love you, not you. Sorry, love you, love you.
1: Uh, haven't tasted the wine and the gin, but love
0: you. Uh, Do
3: not piss off Snoop Dogg. It's the never. rule number one in the wine business. You can fucking say what you want about Chris Carpenter and the KJ. Do not piss off Snoop Dogg, because that'll come back and bite you in the ass
1: right get exactly it? so Bite, that that's man. funny thank See, you that's, that's it humor well done, on this sir. show yeah i like it i like it No, so i think a lot of times when you have wine that's made like in bulk right it's being sourced from a wide swath of territory right so all kinds of stuff gets done to it again can't speak to snoop love you snoop but you know i don't know how the wine is getting made uh but uh yeah how do we get on to snoop this is crazy <laughs> i don't know <laughs> I want to have some gin now. Like all of a sudden, I want to have some gin. I don't know. I have man. some wine here. I got some good wine here, but it's not from Snoop. I don't know. So what so what was the original question? Oh my God. I think the original question is what's what's gonna what's the good side? Is we're learning about how to handle this stuff from an agricultural standpoint. And also it's forcing people to go to places uh for their wine. they maybe wouldn't have before, right? There's a thriving wine industry uh, or starting to be a thriving wine industry in Northern Europe. Who would have thought that, but it's getting warm enough. There's a thriving wine industry. You go further South, further South in Patagonia, in Chile and Argentina, which 20 years ago, people said, you're out of your mind. You can't grow anything there, much less red wines. And then they were growing white wines, which need cooler weather. Now they're growing some great red wines. You know, you go to you go to a place like, you know, in California looking for, you know, more altitude, trying to figure out what else to plan. I got this one. This is what I've been drinking today. The the Shiloh uh, Secret Reserve Petit Verdot. Right. This is a great Israeli wine. This one, you know, again, it's it's figuring out which grape varieties are going to be best in which place and then finding out how to farm them and make the wine uh The best way you can, and and the best producers are still doing that. This is the, I got Snoop Dogg on my screen. Are we sharing Snoop Dogg? Uh oh. Sorry, just had to do it.
3: <laughs> just so Snoop knows we love him. It's gonna be stuck in my head
1: now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, sorry, had to happen. You know my kids love Snoop, by the way. Who doesn't love Snoop? You gotta love exactly. Snoop. But I'm like. As a parent, this makes me prouder. 8-year-old and 11-year-old love Snoop. They love Snoop and Jay-Z. Snoop's wine, 96 points. Do you rate wines? Are you a rater? No, it's funny. I, I score wines internally. So when I'm taking my notes, I have a scoring system. But when I write about wines, I do not have scores. No.
3: Yeah, I'm not a fan. I'm The point system to me and we could we could do a whole other show i'm sure you and i just talking about this but i just feel like it takes away from the consumer experience when people just walk in and they they see the number oh 93 94, 94. when there are wines that are just for a lot of reasons not the least of which is that it's completely fucking subjective that maybe yes. aren't going to be getting those scores and you're missing out by not trying them. I, It's the, it's the rotten tomato thing. It's the same thing with rotten tomatoes. Yeah. There's been things on Rotten Tomatoes where I'm like, oh, I got a shitty rotten tomato. And then I watch and I, it's great. It's yeah. awesome.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, how depressing is it when you hear people say like, you know, I only drink wines that are 92 points and above. Like, what a, can I say fuck? Can I curse on here? You can Am say I whatever around? you want, man. Are you about what to a, say fuck? Are you about to say fuck, Robert?
3: robert parker are you about no, to say oh because let me would, make sure we just, got this recording for the instagram no. clip. why do you hate uh, robert parker go
1: i was not saying that at all you just i think well. you hinted at it that you don't like robert parker to say oh my god this is a gotcha interview no what i was gonna say is what a fucking boring wine life to have like some you know sort of arbitrary set of criteria that i'll only drink wine that's above a certain score right i mean to me Wine is about discovery. It's about, you know, finding something new. The good thing is, is consumers now, and you've seen this too, right, are more and more interested in feeling connected to their wine, getting the stories about them. They don't give a shit if it's 92 points or 89 points. But if it's, if it's an honest wine that expresses some particular patch of planet Earth in a unique and delicious way, that's what they care about as opposed to what's the score. It can be a guide, but it's not like the guiding light like it used to be. And I think that's a good thing.
3: If you had to give this podcast a score, what would you give it?
1: Oh, my God. I mean, is there, is there, I was going to give you extra credit and give you like a 102 until you, until you tried to, you know, paint me into a corner with Robert Parker. And now you, Snoop Dogg is angry at me. I don't even know what to say anymore. I'll give you a 98
3: picking up notes of desperation and uh, <laughs> anger. <laughs> uh-huh. There's a lot of bitterness. I'm getting a lot of bitterness on the front and then even yeah. more bitterness on the back
1: followed by uh, some abject depression. I, I would say we got to be French. We have to say like a soup of ambiguity and, uh, you know, sadness. Yes. Look at this. I'm getting a call. Did you hear that? There's this a thing is ringing.
3: Get it, a, uh, just a, 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 what do you call it? What's that word? Damn it. I can't even think of it. I'm it's too early. Um all right. So the book's out. When's the movie yeah. coming? Cuz I can't read the whole book. I got when Yeah. Who do you, who do you see playing cuz this will be a disaster movie, right? We got the the climate's coming. We got to get it. the wine it's coming and like the sun is just <laughs> beams of fucking rays coming down burning the vineyards and who is it? Who do you see in the lead? Liam Neeson, Brad Pitt playing your wine. Well, ma- who think- plays the winemaker?
1: Let's, you know, I think we could have Chris Carpenter himself play the winemaker, right? I mean, yeah. he could be like, you know, he could be a movie hero. But I, honestly, Dan, I see the movie as being told through the, the very glamorous perspective of the suburban Philadelphia wine writer. And honestly, I think I think the young Brad Pitt has to play Brian Friedman. I think that's the only uh, the only accurate a little CGI you get
3: M. Night Shyamalan to direct
1: There'll
3: be a twist at the end.
1: Another Philly guy. There you go. There's a tidal wave of like unfermented grape juice coming at us. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: I like it. I I crushed crushed the movie coming soon. I think there's probably a movie called Crushed already. Well, listen, Brian, have we covered everything Uh, you want to cover? Is there anything else that must be told or at least tease the book a little?
1: Yeah, I would. I would say, you know, this is not a book. That is just bad news. Right. I mean, this is very much a book of this is this is a situation. It is incredibly frightening uh, and difficult, but there are some real victories happening out there. Uh, And it's just as much a story about human ingenuity and finding a way forward. Uh, And it's you know, I hope that it's uh, you know, the stories entertain people, inform them and make them appreciate a little bit more that liquid in their glass at the end of the day.
3: Sure, there's not anything else you want to say. Maybe you want to say you're sorry to Snoop Dogg, or I want to say Robert that... Parker. <laughs> I mean, you kind of you kind of aggressively went after Robert Parker today, and I don't even understand where that came from.
1: Yeah, it was it, it was at I, honestly, I, it was like Will Ferrell in a uh, in old school. I just sort of I blanked out, and it just <laughs> you know it was almost like you were saying words in my voice. It was crazy, nuts. Yeah, uh, you know, I I uh, I think I'm going to. The second edition, I'm going to dedicate the book to you for for allowing me to so adequately express my admiration for for Parker and for Snoop uh, in such such a public forum. So thank you. Well,
3: listen, everybody, you got to get this book, Crushed, How a Changing Climate is Altering the Way We Drink by Brian Friedman from Roman and Littlefield. It is on sale now everywhere. Books are sold. Go get it. And- Pour yourself a glass of wine or two while you're while you're pouring through that book. Brian,
1: great talking like to you, buddy. It. Great talking to you. Thanks, Dan. It's over, Johnny. It's over. Nothing is over!
3: That's going to do it for this episode of WWD. I want to thank Paul Coffin, Brian Friedman. Captain Quint.
2: Here's to swimming with bow-legged women.
3: You do you, Q. And of course, I want to thank you. Because without you, there ain't no show. And that's faux show. Get it? Which reminds me, if you dig what I'm doing here, you let some friends know about it, All right, Post it on Facebook, put it on Instagram, Twitter, or just tell people the old-fashioned way, by actually speaking words to them, out loud. Hey, you should check out this podcast, What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn, it's great, really. I can't tell you how much it means to me and everyone involved in this show and people spread the word. It's how we get bigger and better. It's how we keep going. And I want to keep going. You want to keep going? Let's keep going. And with that, I'll leave you with a joke. The man swerving all around the road. He gets pulled over by the cops. A cop comes up and says, Sir, have you been drinking? And he says, yeah. Seven beers, five shots of tequila, and about four glasses of wine cop says i'm gonna ask you to take this breathalyzer test to which the man replies what you don't fucking believe me (laughs) and by the way don't drink and drive you're better than that till next time friends peace